Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. And if you're new here, welcome to the podcast for the very first time. I'm glad that you decide to come in and listen. And um, very first thing, if you're in any kind of danger and you're trying to listen to this podcast, please don't do that. Um, hang the podcast up, dial 911, get some assistance, create a safe plan, um, get into a safe spot. Um, I don't want you by no means to listen to the podcast if you're in a domestic violence situation um i'm gonna give you the national domestic violence hotline number that number is 1-800-799-7233 if you just need an advocate to talk to um you need to find um different places in your area you can call them also um contact um online you can go to domesticshelters.org that is another great place you can go to they have a lot of search engines and different things where you can search for shelters on there you can get information yourself so if you don't want to really talk to someone and you would rather just search it um they're a great source uh, resource um today's guest um special guest is kit Garrell. She is an advocate, a survivor, and a special advisor for HBO documentary, Private Violence. And um, I have Miss Kit on the phone right beside me. And um, if I've got your permission, Kit, we'll start recording. Sounds great, Misty. Okay, great. Um, so, Kit, I guess I will just let you talk about a little bit about who you are and as a survivor and an advocate, if you want to start talking. Um. Well, I've been uh, doing this work for about 35 years now. Um, I became an advocate because I went through a really violent marriage that ended with the death of my husband. I did not kill him. He was killed in an accident. But three weeks before um, he died, I tried to commit suicide because I just couldn't take it anymore. And then and then he was killed in an accident out in the Gulf of Mexico. And so my boys and I were set free. And I was living in the North Carolina mountains at the time. And, and uh, I wanted the boys to have a different way of thinking about things. So we left and moved down to uh, the Chapel Hill area um, in North Carolina. And... Um, not long after that, I saw the ad to uh, to become a crisis line worker, and I went to the training, and it just spoke to me on so many different levels, and so I became an advocate, and um, and I've been doing the work ever since. Uh, yeah, and um, I, me and you was talking right before we started recording, and you know, I called Kit in 2013, <laughs> and uh, I said, Kit. Um, you don't know me. I'm from Alabama, and I want to be an advocate. And um, this is this is my dream to be because I had saw the um, documentary series Private Violence, and so watching Kit work as an advocate really did something to me. It struck a chord in me, and I already kind of had the hunger in me, anyways. And so Kit's very first thing to me was starting your community, and right. yeah, and she said that to me, and. Um, things have kind of went haywire since (laughs) and um but i didn't start till 2019 but i just wanted to kind of tell everybody that because that's a little history between you and i (laughs) 
Well, there's nothing like lived experience, and I'm sorry that so many women across the country have had personal experience with domestic abuse, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a fact, and the good news is, is a lot of the women who manage to, uh, to survive and get away from their abusers through whatever means, um, they feel strongly about doing something to, uh, to work with and assist other women who are experiencing the same thing, and this is one of those issues that really does take... Um, you know, it takes a village. It takes all of us rolling up our sleeves and working together, recognizing that all of us have our own set of skills and gifts. Um, no one is above anyone else and no one is below anyone else. And if we if we approach this work like that and really um, do everything we can to empower victims and survivors of domestic abuse, to listen to them, to treat them with the dignity and respect that they deserve, to treat them like the experts that they are, because they are the experts in their particular relationship, um, and then provide them with resources as we stand next to them while they make their make their moves, make their journey, then, then we're, I think we're doing a, a really good thing. Yeah, I totally agree, 100%, 100%. Um, what would you, um, like, I, I, I'm curious, um, like, with, with, I think you did some training this last week, um, but what do you think about police training, and, and what is your take on, like, I know that it's significant, I know that personally, I don't feel like that there's near enough training in the United States, um, of America as far as, uh, you know, domestic violence training, and, um, training officers on what to do when they get there to a situation. Um, I think that um, I think that domestic violence is a complex crime, and um, there's a lot of really wonderful law enforcement officers out there who who understand the complexities of it. But there's also some officers who uh, don't understand why a woman would reconcile with an abuser. They don't understand that leaving an abuser is not an event; it's a process, and the process can be a long one. Um, abusers don't start out abusive. They start out being, air quotes, the nicest guy she's ever met. And so when the abuse starts, it's complicated for her because she she thinks back to how he was when they first got together. So it's about as clear as mud. And, and law enforcement officers oftentimes are not trained to understand that there's much, much more to domestic abuse than um, physical abuse. The physical abuse really is kind of the punctuation mark. What domestic abuse is about is um, the abuser in, uh, employing a variety of tactics that are oftentimes invisible to everyone else. And, um, and because he behaves tactically and because he's so effective at it, oftentimes she um, goes through a lot of self-doubt. And if she doesn't have someone who can really listen to her and show her the power to control wheel, I mean, I, I, I worked with over 40,000 women and every time I sit down to work with a, a victim or a survivor the first thing I do is show them the power and control wheel because they do need to understand that there's so much more to domestic abuse and physical violence and sexual violence and when they see the power and control wheel and then I will say to them see if there's anything on this wheel that feels like it fits with your relationship I mean it's a revelation and and then they have a chance to sort of sit down and fill out you know, in each section of the eight sections, what what about that section fits in their relationship? And the thing about that that's so important is um, they uh, they not only are telling us what they're dealing with, more importantly, they're telling themselves. And um, you know, I oftentimes say 
talking with battered women is like asking someone who's standing under a waterfall if it's raining or not. Um, you know, if we if we are doing good work as advocates, then then we're kind of handing them an umbrella and saying, here, step away from the waterfall and let's look back at everything and see what's going on. And then based on on your insights into what's happening <clears throat> happening in this relationship, we can come up with a plan. And, you know, and that to me is what kind of essential advocacy services should be about is, is again, listening to her, giving her access to resources and then standing beside her and not telling her what to do. I think for law enforcement, um, they're more accustomed to, you know, rolling up on on an issue, um, a situation that is more black and white than domestic abuse. (laughs) And as a consequence, they get frustrated. And um, I've worked with a lot of cops over the years and they've expressed their frustration to me. But then when we sit down and talk about um, how hard it is for women to leave for all kinds of, of legitimate reasons, then they start to understand. And the other thing that I think we need to tell cops is essentially they're off the hook. They can't fix it. No one can fix it. It's too complex a situation. What it requires is it requires everyone in the community doing their part, which is why I'm such a huge fan of what are called coordinated community responses. Mm. If if we work together with law enforcement, if we work together with the DA's office, if we work together with the schools, with mental health, with, uh, with the faith community, and we have together a consistent message that violence and abuse against women is unacceptable, um, then we can start to move the ball down the field, so to speak. But but for law enforcement to be expected to fix it by themselves, for advocates to be expected to fix it by themselves, for the prosecutor's office, no one can do this alone. We need everyone, you know, at the table. Right. I totally agree with you. And um, small communities like the one I'm in is one of those that's, um, they're still in that um, taboo. Let's put it under the rug. It's too... It's too, you know what I'm saying? It's too bad and it's too this or that. We don't want to talk about it. They're still in that era. You know what I'm saying? And so... Not talking about it only helps out the abuser. Right, right. It's just that much more power. Yeah, definitely. um, You know, and and the sad truth is we now see that that domestic abuse is the root cause for, I think it's 62% of the mass shootings in this country. Mm. So if we stick our heads in the sand, we wind up paying for it. Definitely, definitely. And you know, uh, that's why this podcast was created. Um, It's a platform for many women or men or whomever that's been through domestic violence that advocate that do these wonderful jobs in their communities and around the world, you know, to be able to talk to other people that might be going through, you know, a situation that they don't know that they're in. Um, I know personally, when I was going through domestic violence, what was it? You know what I mean? What I didn't even know the name. Like someone could have said, "Okay, Misty, you're in a domestic violence situation." I wouldn't know that. I didn't even right. know that existed. So, right. you know, um, what would you say to someone if they're like listening to us right now talk about it? If you know they're maybe in a domestic violence, but they don't really know what that is, and they don't know that's what's being happened, you know, done to them. Well, I mean, the first thing is that they're going to start to kind of explore what's going on. Is that they they need to do that in a way that's safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, one of the things that abusers tend to do a lot is surveil victims. And we have to make sure that if she's going to start to um, to sort of drill down and, and, and look at the dynamics of the relationship, that she does it in a way that's safe. But I encourage women to, um, to print off the power and control wheel if they can, or go to the library and just look at it on the, on the library computer and really and really think about those eight categories minimizing and using the children um there's there's uh, there's those eight different um categories on the power and control will do so much to illuminate all the different tactics and ways that abusers first gain and then maintain that control because that's what it's about um people people think it's an anger management issue it's not an anger management issue he manages his anger just fine uh think about the last time there was a, a domestic violence murder murder suicide and the uh tv reporter goes out and finds a neighbor to interview and the neighbor oftentimes says but he seemed like such a nice guy mm-hmm. and 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 I talk about that like I was just out in California doing the domestic violence for crisis negotiators class. And and when we unpack it, they see that. They understand that he has, he approaches them tactically. He wants them to see him as a good guy. Because if, if, if the cops see him as a good guy, then he doesn't go to jail. And And the message to her is... He's going to be able to do what he does behind closed doors, but he's also going to be able to manipulate law enforcement, which just strips her of, of what little sense of self and, help, and a, a need for help that she's got. And so this is why it's important for us to understand that, that we just have to listen. And, and if a woman is, is unclear about what's going on, and she looks at the power and control wheel and starts to recognize, wow, this is, you know, this is happening in my relationship. What do I do? Then obviously the best thing to do is to find a good community-based program that is focused on empowering victims, not focused on, uh, see what's the best way to say this. I worry that some programs have become less focused on victims and more, more focused on maintaining uh let's see what's the best way to say this um we we i believe this is this is my opinion isn't i'm and i'm old i'm an old advocate i think we should approach this work with great humility yes i think we can approach this work as though it is that we recognize how hard it is for a woman to reach out to say, I need help because we live in a country where asking for help is not um, something that people are supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to handle things. Yeah. Well, it, it, you can't just handle domestic violence. There's, there's just too much to it. So I hope that when, when women hear this and if they look at the power and control wheel and they recognize that they're in some quicksand and that they do need to reach out, that the people that they reach out to recognize what it means to um, to have the courage to say, I'm in trouble here and I need help. Right. Uh, and that, it's, and that the, the support that we give to them is done in a victim and survivor-centered way. Right. And, and you're right. And, and, you know, as an advocate of myself, you know, I, I'm, I've not been doing this near as long as you have. 
and I'm not near as experienced, you know, I'm still learning so much as an advocate. And so, um, you know, when I, when I first started, you know, talking to, to women and stuff like that, and I remember I had went out on a, my first thing, you know, where I had went out to where a victim was, um, a survivor. And, um, you know, I didn't know about risk assessment. You know, I didn't know about some of these things that are so important for an advocate to have. Um, and so I put my own self at risk, honestly. Um, but I didn't realize it because my passion, you know what I mean? I'm so gung-ho, you know, as a young advocate, you know, and just, oh, I'm gung-ho. I want to get out here. I want to do this. I'm ready, you know. And, and so I had to back up, you know, after the fact. Of course, she got to safety. She did wind up going back to her abuser um, the very next day. And so I had to assess my own self and be like, hold on a minute. I, I know you want to be an advocate. I know that you're gung-ho, but you've got to put yourself in a safe position to do so. Right. And as a independent advocate in which I've been, you know, I guess that probably would put me in a little bit of a gung-ho position. And well, starting out as an advocate also. So what would you have, um, what type of advice would you have for new advocates? a good group of friends that you can talk about it with who also do the work. I'm a big believer in um, in, in mentorship. Mm-hmm. So find someone who's sort of been doing the work for a while. Um, the, the good news about this work is you learn something new every day. I mean, that's that, that's one of the things about this work that I find so appealing is, is every single time I sit down to listen to a woman. I learned something new about about what it means to survive, about how they've they've figured this all out, about what they've done to get up every day and put one foot in front of the the other. Um, For me, I have a lot of friends around the country who have done advocacy work for a long, long time. And if I get into uh, a situation where I feel overwhelmed because I feel powerless because, you know, it's never just about the abusers. It's also about the systems that victims have to navigate. And oftentimes those systems are just as dangerous and oppressive as the abuser. Um, And so it gets hard and it gets frustrating and you get angry because, um, you know, we want women to be able to identify what's going on and then have access to the resources that they need and then to have the systems respond appropriately. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. And so, um, I, you know, like for me, I live in a beautiful place. I, I, live, I live in the mountains and, and when I need to, I will just unplug and go hike or go take a ride up on the parkway or whatever. But I do get a lot of, of um, camaraderie mm-hmm. and support and, um, and very valuable wisdom from other women that I know who have done this work for a long time. And there are some men out there that I turn to, too, who, who are advocates for battered women. Um, so, so just, just have, your, uh, have your peeps. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> the peeps gotcha. around that you can turn to. Right, yeah. Um, and so, you know, and you're absolutely right about that. And you know what's crazy? I've, I've met some of the most, most influential women um, and some of the biggest advocates. I mean, you're one of them. And, and so I look at y'all's work and, and y'all are my mentors. And, and so I do follow your work 
And um, I do have some peeps that are advocates that I'm very proud to, to say they're my friends. And and we have those phone conversations, you know. And and after that incident, you know, I beat myself up so bad. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I just I was so down on myself, Misty. I can't believe you did that. I mean, you know better than that. You were just so you know whatever. It could have turned out to be something very serious for you. And so I took a step back for just a second too, you know, and, um, but you live and you learn. (laughs) So that's what, um, my advocacy has been about is just my journey and living and learning through it. And so, you know, I, I just relish it every time I can help someone. It, It makes me feel, you know, um, good inside that I'm able to to see someone flourish and not be stuck in what I was you know and so my passion is just there you know and I just have that drive and I think that I've had that drive now for quite a while and and um uh, I'm grateful to the women that have been doing it for quite many years like yourself uh you know you're a trailblazer and well, so you know there 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 are women I look to for inspiration one of whom is gone now Ellen Pence but mm. Ellen was um you know she was kind of everything to to so many of us who did the work for a long long time she was one of the people that was um responsible for getting the power and control wheel together and that came from her capacity to listen mm. uh you know I I just I fear that we don't listen anymore I think that we go into situations where we have our mind made up already or we've got a clock ticking or whatever and we just can't do that with victims of domestic abuse we have to just clear the slate and be prepared to sit cross-legged on the floor and listen to them with with humility and respect and um and i think if we do that then um then they start to understand that it's that someone feels like it's worth it to listen to them and that really is a wonderful gift that we can give them Right. Yeah, and you know, I, I do that. I, I listen, and I, I I listen to women, and um, you know, my phone has remained open for quite a while, um, just to my community, and um, my messenger stays open to women, you know, on social media, you know, and and um, I've advocated some off social media for you know women. I haven't done it in quite a while. I haven't. I don't get as many messages as I used to. Um, you have to be very careful with that in a sense. Um, so, but, um, I just really admire your work and I, I admire what you do. And I want to ask you a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up if you want to. Uh, but, um, just, I wanted to ask you something about, um, how do you deal with, it's like, say you've got women, kind of like myself, you know, I say, well, you're my mentor. Have you ever had any women who have been like, I want you to mentor me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and how many... Do you mentor women? Like, I do, but, yeah. but, I, but I, I... You know, my, my belief system around this is... is Yes, I've done the work for a long time, and I've learned a lot along the way, but I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel like I don't have things to learn from other people. Mm. I really feel like it has to be a give and take. If we see each other as equals, which, you know... Is, is one of the one, one of the central premises of, of getting domestic violence programs established in the first place was to model for the community a non-hierarchical way of doing things. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it, it bothers me to see 
that some some programs have gotten very hierarchical and I, I just think it's counterintuitive to what this work is supposed to be about um, so I'm, I'm happy to to do mentoring but I'm also happy to have the chance to learn wow. from, from, for younger than me from women who have lived lives different from mine um, I, I really do think that it's you know it's, it's a form of kind of feminist anthropology and and, and we're, we just always have things to learn from each other I, I really believe that yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Um, I thought I was ready to mentor and I I mean in a way I like mentoring, but you know, I think that I still have so much to learn myself, if that makes sense. You know? Yeah. I I, I, I yeah. Learn too. yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, and I've learned a lot. <laughs> so and I'm continuing, you know. I mean life's just about learning to me and and so um as we've spoke about all this, you've given a lot of people a lot of things to think about and I think even advocates will learn a lot from you um just by talking on the podcast and so um but I appreciate you so much for coming on. I won't waste you for any more time. Um but um um I appreciate you again and um guys I'm not going to ramble anymore and say anything else. Uh, I've been a little under the weather and sick, so I hope that y'all haven't heard me in the background coughing or nothing or clearing my throat. Um, but come back for the next podcast, guys, and um, I'll talk to you later on the next pod. Bye, guys. Let's, let's you take care. Thanks.